Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're beginning this new series, and the series I'm calling Hostage to the Devil. And the reason that I'm doing this is because, one, I don't think we take very seriously uh, the influence or the impact of the devil in our lives. C.S. Lewis gave us this, this caution. He said, you know, when it comes to things related to spiritual warfare, there really are two kinds of, of warnings that we need to have. One is that we make nothing about the devil, and then the second is that we make everything about the devil. There's this, this place in the in-between that we really need to be, and that's the healthier place to go. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to, give you a little bit of time to get there. And uh, while you're turning there, I was reminded of something some years ago. I was teaching a class on logic at, at Texas A&M. And we were getting to the end of the semester. I, all of you would have loved the class, you know. Yeah, so it was getting toward the end of the semester. All of the information accrues over the semester. It builds up. It's not kind of like you take the first exam and then you can forget it. Everything kind of builds as you go, right? So the final exam, just by the nature of the information, is a cumulative exam. You know, sorry, it is what it is. But I remember telling the students uh, that in the last week, we were a little bit ahead in terms of, of being taught the material. And so for the last two days of class, what I was going to do is take those hour and a half classes, and all I was going to do was review, and that was it. And I said, so I'm going to make that optional, but I'm going to review you for the final exam. And so, you know, the exam was going to be the next week during finals week, and they would have three hours to take the exam, and they were probably going to need it. Um, so out of 150 students, 150 plus students, actually the class started with a little over 200 students, and then the first exam hit, and then you had drop, and, uh, and we lost a lot. So I had about 150 plus students at the time, and on those two days, for an hour and a half worth of review, I had slightly under 50 students show up for the review. I know, I know. But I made it optional, to be fair, right? Uh, and I even said, we're going to be working proofs. Uh, you're going to have a time for a Q&A with me. You can ask me. Maybe there's some questions that you have about course content. You'll have time for that. Um, and, and that's a pretty cool thing to do because you actually get to pick the brain of the professor that's going to be making the exam for the class. I mean, come on, that's pretty sweet. So on the exam, I had 10 different proofs. I know that you were wondering about that. And of the 10 proofs to work, seven of them, just so you know, I worked with the students on those days of review. So I said to them, all you have to do is show up, and if you can master the material that we're going to be doing on the days of the review, as well as what we've been doing over the semester, you're going to be fine. Seven of the proofs on that exam, I worked with them in class on the day of the review. I didn't say I was going to do that. I just did that. I know you're curious about the other three uh, proofs. Well, the other three proofs were actually directly out of the textbook. So like I said, if you can work any of the proofs that are in the textbook, you're going to be just fine. So I worked seven of them in the class, including the most difficult one, and then the other three were picked from the book. Sounds like a pretty good professor to me. <laughs> I mean, aren't they lucky? So... Now, I told the students before the review, if you can master what we cover in the review, you're going to nail the exam. Now, some of the students, because like I said, kind of low attendance on review days, some of them were talking and they said, you know, we really appreciate that. But you know what we did? We ended up going to a coffee shop, just us and some of our friends and working some of the stuff together. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a free country. You know, you can do that. I didn't fault them for that. 
What I thought was interesting, though, is that they would like to go and sit together at a coffee shop with each other, none of whom, by the way, made the exam. I was the guy making the exam. I thought it'd be good to spend a little bit of time with me, right? But again, to be fair, made it optional whether or not they were going to be a part of it. Uh, Probably what they really ended up doing was hanging out with their textbook open and sitting at the coffee shop visiting for about two hours and then heading back home and saying, we studied together, right? But even still, why hang out and study together when you can spend the time with the one that mastered the material, right? Why do that? The reason I begin this way is because I want to make an important point. God has given us a review session. And what I mean by that is God has given us a textbook with answers to the question of life. He has given us a witness, that is his word, that will guide us for all of the matters of the exam. All we have to do is take seriously what he reveals in his word, and we're prepared. We're ready to go. See, what God isn't wanting to do is to hide something from you or from me. He reveals things for us so that we can live the life that he created for us to live it well. And so what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3 as I start to unpack this a little bit for us is that you're going to see that there's somebody else that's going to be speaking into your life. It's not just God that speaks into your life. There are other voices that speak into your life. And we have a choice as to which voice we're going to be listening to. See, in Genesis 3, we see the strategy of the adversary to bring consequences into our lives. It reminds me of an example Tony Evans gave some years ago. He said, I want you to think about football team. You know, I mean, the Cowboys played yesterday. I didn't really watch it, but they played yesterday. But you know what went into, I think somebody's hissing out there. I mean, that's fine. You can do it. But, you know, before they ever hit the field, I guarantee you that they had analysts that were watching the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles. I guarantee it. And they were breaking down the plays that the Eagles had run, the percentage of the plays that they, in terms of run plays, pass plays, I guarantee you, analysts had been hard at work. And so it helped them to formulate a defensive strategy for their game. But also they watched their defense, didn't they? And they see how it is that they scheme. And so they came up with an offensive plan so that it would, off, it would offset what it is that the Eagles were probably trying to do there against them. Did you know that Satan is exactly the same way? He's been studying, so to speak, your game film. The adversary knows what your strengths are. Your, the adversary knows what your weaknesses are. And he knows how to play you. And we need to wake up and take this actually pretty seriously. Uh, I, I was talking with a friend of mine. He's actually from Uganda. And we were talking about why it is that Americans seem to be very insensitive to spiritual things. And what I mean by that is most Americans just aren't perceiving these things to be happening around them at all. And he said, oh, I think it's very easy. He said, over in Uganda, we see this stuff all the time. He said, you've trained yourself not to see it. So what I hope to do in the course of this series is to help us to see these things again and to take it seriously. Because you have somebody that honestly is not your friend and is scheming against you. That's what I want us to see. So I want you to see what the strategy would be so you don't get lost when you're taking the exam of life. And you see it starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what it says, and I provide it for you. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now many of you probably know what's happening here. You've got Adam and Eve there in the garden, right? God has portioned all of this for them. And he says, Look at everything that I've created for you, and I want you to go and enjoy it. God sounds pretty good, right? I mean, after all, it's not just that he's given them all the food that they need. He's given them each other. And he looks, he says, This is your husband. This is your wife. I want you to go and enjoy each other. Good start. And then you have the serpent show up. 
And what the serpent says, looking at this one thing, the one thing that God said, now there's one thing I don't want you to mess with. There's this tree, and you need to leave it alone. And the serpent decides to kind of pull on that thread a little bit. He says, well, I mean, what did God really say? He didn't really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. And so what we see from, from the enemy is, notice, this is the first thing, is he takes something good and he does something bad with it. He takes something good and he does something bad with it. In essence, this is what happens when we start to worship things that we shouldn't be worshiping. Tim Keller says most of the problems that we have in our life is because we're worshiping the wrong things. We take a part of creation, which is good, and instead of worshiping the creator, we worship what is created. It takes a place in our life that it was never meant to take, and it takes us off the rails. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Because when it comes to Satan, or, or, you know, when you think about the adversary, it's not like he shows up and says, I'm here to ruin your life. That's just not the way that he works. He's much more subtle. None of you would take it seriously. If, if, this, if the adversary were, walks up to you and says, I'm here to destroy you, listen to what I have to say. You would probably say, I don't think I'm going to listen to you. I mean, why would I want to listen to you if, if your goal is to destroy me? He approaches it in a different way. And 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, and their end will be according to their works. Satan is never going to tell you that he's here to ruin you. He's much more subtle than that. But whatever he's telling you to do, he's telling you, and he's selling it like it's a good thing. Not a bad thing. Did you notice he did that with the woman in the garden? It's good. It's good. It reminds me of a story. There was a hunter, and he raised his rifle, and he took careful aim. He was trying to kill a bear. And when he was about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke in a very soft and soothing voice. I don't know what kind of bear this is, but go with it, all right? Here's what the bear said. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot? I mean, I mean, what do you want? You just have to tell me what you want. Let's, let's negotiate together. And so the hunter, listening to the bear, like lowers his rifle, and he says, well, I want a fur coat. And the bear says, well, that's good. I mean, that's a negotiable and fair thing to want. I only want a full stomach. So how about we negotiate a compromise? And the hunter said, okay, so they sat down together, they started to talk with each other, and after a little bit of time, the bear went away with a full stomach. <laughs> By the way, the hunter had his fur coat. I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> here, is, here is what Satan is saying to you today. Let's negotiate. That's what he's saying to you today. Let's negotiate. Or here's another way of looking. Let's compromise. That's what he's asking you to do. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis when he wrote the Screw Tape Letters, uh, really one of my favorite books that he ever wrote. He said, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. In other words, you won't even see it's happening to you. But you're on a steady walk of getting to a place of absolute ruin. He disguises it. 
You know, just earlier this week, Wendy got a message, and in the message, uh, they said that um, a, a purchase that she had made was not going to be uh, able to be completed. And I was like, good. No, I'm kidding. I, that's not what happened. <laughs> Uh, she said a, purchase, said a purchase that she had made was not going to be able to be completed unless she went back in and changed all of her card information. How many of you have gotten something like that lately? Well, of course, as I was talking with her, I was like, well, don't give them your information. Wait, did you first make a purchase? But don't give them your information. I mean, basically, they were just fishing to see what it is that you would be willing to give. They were disguising themselves as someone that was there to provide a good for her, when in fact, they were there to destroy her. This is exactly the way the adversary works. He wants you to buy the line. Did you notice that the adversary in Genesis 3, Genesis 3 even made God a part of the conversation. Did God really say that? He didn't shy away from that. He wants you to think, really, at the end of the day, that what God is doing is withholding a blessing from you. He's withholding something good from you. I mean, after all, he looks at what is forbidden, and he says, what's so bad about that? I mean, God, God is trying to withhold something from you. That's something that you would enjoy. And to be fair, a lot of us really enjoy sin. We do. Uh, over the years, I've actually never found one person that has had an affair that didn't have a reason behind it. They could tell me what it was. An affectionless home, but this person was giving me affection. A, a home that's completely lacking in physical intimacy, but this person is giving me physical. They could tell me. They could tell. In other words, they were doing in that moment what was happening in, in Genesis chapter 3 when she sees what is forbidden as good. And every time somebody sits down with me and they say, this is why the affair happened, they never say, well, what we were there for was to ruin our lives. I've never once heard that. I've always heard, and this is the good that I saw in it. They just didn't say it that way. My marriage was lacking. This was a good that I could get. You see it? We buy this stuff all the time. And so what's a good way forward? Well, number one, slow down. Don't get caught up in the moment. Test what it is that the adversary is saying to you by the word of God that hopefully is in your heart and a resource that you can draw from when you're in a time of testing. Slow down. Don't take the serpent's word for it. Talk with God. Remember his blessings. That was one of the moves, is to not see all the stuff that God had already given them. It's like, look at this. Look at this. And that's what we do. And then we lack gratitude for everything else. And we start seeing God as cheap and miserly, withholding. And as a result, somebody that's not worth worshiping. And so we turn. See, when you're busy eating from the wrong tree... You're missing out on what a good tree can provide. You're snacking on the wrong stuff. I mean, after all, you could have ribs, but you're over there eating broccoli. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. That's why, that's why Tony Evans said, when God says no to something, it's because he's protecting the things he said yes to. He's protecting it. So don't buy the lie that you're actually getting something good. You're not. You'll, in fact, you'll spend so much time dealing with the consequences of what God forbid that you're going to miss out on the blessings of what God said yes to for you. 
You're busy dealing with everything else. See, here's an important note. The devil, because it's important, we've talked about this guy. He's going to come for you. He has a plan against you. But to be fair to the devil, he doesn't make you do anything. He doesn't make you do anything. We do this stuff on our own just fine. And we blame shift with the best of them. I think about Eve did it. Adam did it. I mean, when, when God eventually confronts them, what, is, what, is, what does he say? That woman that you gave me, what does she say? Well, that serpent that was out there, I don't know where the serpent looked. He's like kind of out, right? But we will blame shift with the absolute best of them. But even though Satan cannot make us sin, here's what he will do. He'll set things up so that you want to. And he's going to keep it right in front of you all the It's not that you have to say no to something once. It's that you have to say no to things over and over and over and over again. He's just going to keep on coming back, maybe to wear you down so that eventually you will say yes. It reminds me of something uh, that St. Thomas Aquinas said. He said, no angel, whether good or bad, can change our will. No angel, whether good or bad, can change our will. They can entice They can persuade, but they cannot dominate. So we need to remember at the moment of a choice, we're the one that's making the choice, even if somebody is out there putting something in front of us. We need to own the moment. It reminds me of something in John 8, 44, when it describes describes the servant says, he's the father of lies. What do you think he's going to be telling you? And the proof is something that you see in the rest of the story in Genesis chapter 3. He's going to lie to you about this. You won't have any consequences. There won't be any consequences. Let me, let, me, let me prove it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, what does it say? Surely you will not die. Well, that was a lie. That was a lie. But there are other ways that this shows up in our life. Surely this isn't going to ruin your marriage. Surely, surely this isn't going to ruin your life. Surely this isn't going to ruin your friendship. Surely this isn't going to ruin your finances. Surely. He will lie to you. In other words, you play with sin, sin's going to play with you. How many times have you heard somebody say, it's not going to be that bad? You ever heard that before? And then you circle back around and you meet with people and they go, no, it can be that bad. It really can. All, All that Satan wants is for you to believe that it won't be. And he's got you. He's got you. It reminds me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. In fact, God knows when you, when you eat things, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like who? Did you, see what, did you see what the serpent did here? Did you notice what the serpent didn't do here? What the serpent didn't do was say, make sure that you're worshiping God. Didn't do that. Did you notice what else that the serpent didn't do? The serpent never said, I want you to worship me. Serpent never did that. Instead, what the serpent said was, I want you to worship yourself. Worship you. That was what he said. I mean, they wanted independence, and they got it. And he said, in fact, you can be like God. Which, by the way, when you spin it a certain way, that sounds all right. We're telling people to be like God all the time. And he did it. But what he meant by that was, you can be on level with him. You can be on par. And that's something that God's trying to keep from you. He invited them to worship themselves. And the effect of listening to the wrong voice, 
You see it in verse 6. The woman saw that the forbidden fruit was good for food, delightful to look at, desirable for attaining wisdom. What was forbidden was good for those things. And she saw it. You know, friends, if I, were to, if I were to tell you this morning, hey, murder is wrong, you would all say, yeah, we agree, right? But when you commit the act of murder, you're connected to it in more than just a, a theoretical framework. You see what I'm saying? And it's no different than what was going on here with Adam and Eve. It was one thing to know. God said don't eat. They know not to. But then later, they experience it in their life what it means to be disconnected because of a choice that they made. That was the effect. See, the way that the adversary works is he's like a fisherman. Do you have any fishermen out here? It's the way he works. Put the bait on the hook. Fish sees the bait, doesn't see the hook. That's the way he works. He wants to dangle in front of you what it is that you're going to be drawn to, but what he doesn't want to show is that there's a sharp hook that's going to go through your mouth and take you to a place you don't want to go. That's the way that the adversary works. And then once he gets you, he binds you up with it. Many of us, the way that we react to sin, rather than having any kind of transparency or having what the psalmist would talk about, a contrite spirit or a broken spirit, we immediately go into cover mode. We go into self-justification mode. We go, we go everywhere but where we ought to go. Reminds me of something Thomas Brooks said. He said, Satan promises the best, but he pays with the worst. He promises honor, and he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, and he pays with pain. He promises profit, and he pays with loss. He promises life, and he pays with death. And you see it, because in verse 8 of chapter 3, here's what it says that they did. It says, and they hid from the Lord. They hid. Think about it. There they were in the garden. They used to go on long walks together. Everything was just fine. And then they make the choice. And the Lord comes walking through. In the cool of the day, the Lord comes walking through saying, where are y'all at? They were hiding. Where are you at? It's almost like seeing someone at the grocery store that you don't want to see. So you go to the next aisle if you know what I'm talking about. Now nah, we don't need bread today. Let's keep on going. It's kind of like that. Um, I've never done that, but I y'all do. <laughs> do you see the pattern here? Satan disguises himself to seem harmless and asks you to doubt God but to trust him. Because what I'm telling you, he says, is good. So here's what I'm saying to you this morning. If you bought into what Satan was selling you, and let me just put this out there, we all have. We all have. If you have bought what Satan has been selling you, I have got some good news. Because you are a perfect candidate to benefit from God's grace. You are. And you don't have to hide anymore. Hiding doesn't get you anywhere. It keeps you at a distance. It keeps you spaced from the one that created you to know him and to love him. And it reminds me of Romans 4.25. When it speaks of Jesus... He was handed over to die because of our sins. And you remember what happens in Genesis 3. And because of this, you surely will die. But he was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. God is good. Satan is not. But God is.
And even in Romans 1.16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone. See, the problem when you go back into Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve, because Adam was standing next to her the whole time everything was happening. He wasn't like out in the woods. He wasn't going and collecting things. He was standing right there when the serpent was shaking her down and he let it happen. And then she takes it and goes, here's some for you. Which just reminds us, as we always invite people into the mess that we made. And that's what she did, and he was willing to jump right in. And the whole show gets broken. Their family gets messed up. Their relationship gets messed up. They're messed up with the Lord. That just wasn't the end of the story. That wasn't all that was there. Instead, the effect of when we claim the gospel... Because we know it's the power of God that brings salvation to those who believe. We see in Colossians 2.15, the moment that happens, he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He's put them open to shame because he has triumphed over them. They are whipped. They are done. And that is a life that is most definitely worth having. And this is open to you. As it said in Romans 1.16, for all who believe. For all who believe. It's not a matter of how you believe in people. You are. It's who are you believing? And for Jesus, it wasn't just saying, I want you to be connected to the truth. Or like, just hear what the truth is. He says he's a way. He's a walk of life. Not just something that you believe. It's a different way of living that he's invited you to. When I was 11 years old, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Um, In the garden, when Adam and Eve fell... They said to God, we don't need you. When you pray the sinner's prayer, the first thing that you're actually saying is, God, I need you. I need you. You are reclaiming what it is that you lost when you chose, just like Adam and Eve before us, what God didn't create us for. I just want you to see the rest of the story. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.